XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to XV Planus. Greetings, friends and fiends, and welcome back to XV Planus, the podcast where we don't just talk about the paranormal, we put boots on the ground and pursue it in the field. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood. And as always, I am very excited to be back here on the mic to dive further into the unknown, the enigmatic, and the just plain weird with you all. As the audio from this episode is tickling your ear holes, chances are I am on stage recording a live episode at the third annual Bigfoot Birthday Bash in Natchez, Mississippi. Provided there are no technical issues at the event itself, I'll be sharing that conversation on the main feed in a little over a week from now. You know, I've had a lot of fun with this show and its related projects in the last month. Between having Rich on for the Mothman Prophecies commentary and working with Brandon McCraney and company for the Bigfoot Festival down here in the South. So moving forward, November will officially be Cryptid Month every year here on XV Planus. And that leads us to tonight's episode. Originally, this is going to be an installment of Transmissions from the Void, the exclusive interview series I do for our Patreon subscribers. But this conversation ended up spawning an unexpected partnership between myself and tonight's guest, Richard Palmer. Richard is a researcher of high strangeness and a collector of stories from experiencers, with an emphasis on encounters with mysterious phenomena from military service members. From his own encounter with the unexplained in his early 20s until now, Richard has dedicated a considerable amount of his adult life to pursue the phenomena through interviews with witnesses and good old-fashioned research. The conversation we'll be sharing tonight is just the tip of the iceberg. He had so many stories to share that it prompted me to offer a regular guest spot over on our Patreon. So beginning next month, you can expect to hear from Mr. Palmer on our subscribers feed at least once a month, sharing a multitude of fascinating and frightening encounters from all manner of the unexplained. So I wanted to share this particular installment with you all as a bit of a teaser for what you can expect when Richard drops by the Black Lodge. We're going to dig into that conversation here in just a moment, right after this brief message from our friends over at the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. I'm Steve. And I'm Jason. And we're the hosts of an explorative podcast called Grognostics, where we mix in one part of curiosity, one part comedy, one part craft beer tastings, one part education, and yet one part fictional stories. Good lord, that's a lot of parts. Look, uh, this, the show's really cool, okay? I don't know, I'm not so sure now. Sounds more confusing than the time we came over early to your Christmas party last year and found you bawling your eyes out, pantless, mind you, to a Lance Bass Hallmark movie. That was a phase, Jason. A phase, I tell ya. <laughs> Look, if you want to listen, grab a cold one and tune in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might even learn a thing or two. That's Grognostics, G-R-O-G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Look, my pants were in the dryer. Lance just happened to be on. Sure, buddy. Sure. Lodge, and tonight I'm very happy to welcome a new friend to the show and a new friend to my researching network, Richard Palmer. Richard, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's a pleasure. Oh, yeah, pleasure's all here, man. Uh, you, you and I had kind of a chance encounter because of a delightful human being that we both know, Scott McCoy. Shout out to you, brother. Best uh, tours in Natchez. 
best yeah, ghost yeah. tours I've been on. And the in my years of doing, you know, going to different ghost tours and stuff like that every Halloween, he's by far the best one we've ever gone on. He's he's definitely got a knack for it. He is definitely a storyteller, and he he does his research, which is it's always nice to have people like that in the fold, as you and I were just discussing before we we even hit record. Uh, so, Richard, uh, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and and tell us what your interest in the paranormal is? Because I know it's not limited to one aspect. You you and I have talked about that as well. We're kind of interested in a lot of things, but you do have one particular niche that you seem to be gravitating towards. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, my name is Richard. I'm 37 years old. I'm from the wonderful state of Louisiana. Lived here my entire life. Who that? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that all my life. Um, <laughs> give me flashbacks to high school. Uh, uh, I've been interested in the paranormal since I was a very young child. Uh, for those who remember the Robert Stack Unsolved Mysteries TV series, that was my introduction. That uh, Arthur C. Clarke's Strange Worlds, if it was on during the day during on the Discovery Channel, and it was paranormal, I watched it. I mean, it, it was just part of my life growing up. And from my, you know teenage years and up it was just kind of an entertaining thing you know like horror movies like zombie movies all that stuff like that but uh in my later years i got into the more okay something's out here something's weird and started investigating i started reading about john keel and high strangeness and kind of threw myself into it uh over the past few years i found that with my friends and connections to the military community I've been cataloging and researching strangeness that happens to soldiers both here in the U.S. and deployed worldwide. Which is something that definitely interests me, and, and it's it's something that you and I are already planning to talk about on a grander scale uh, a little bit further down the line, because I think there's, there's a lot of fascinating uh, evidence and firsthand accounts that come from our service members that I, I think often either get swept under the rug or ignored. I mean, hell, we're seeing it right now with the struggle to get UAP disclosure out to the public. I'm, I'm sure you can relate to that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And with the weird reports that we've got coming out of the Ukraine, I mean, a lot of their UFO reports are just drones. It's because they're not used to seeing the sort of drone activity they're having over the country, but there's still other weird reports coming out of that country. That war has been rife with high strangeness and Ukraine itself actually has had Mothman sightings. So no kidding. Okay. So that's a new one on me. Yeah. Ukraine had Mothman sightings three days before Chernobyl. Oh, okay. All right. We're talking about the Chernobyl and okay. Yeah. Those I'm aware of. I thought you meant something more recently. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Tell me more. <laughs> no, no. Been, there's been no Mothman in the Ukraine. Um, mostly it's been black uh, Doritos as we call them. But a lot of those are just going to be drones. The Russians are using um, flying wing drones. The Ukrainians are using flying wing drones. NATO's using flying wing drones. It's kind of combing through it when you're trying to figure out, okay, you need something to, for it to be extraordinary for it to be a true UAP or uh, high strangeness encounter. Right. 
Well, no, regarding that, before we go too far off into specifics there, I, I wanted to ask you, was there one particular uh, case or or anything you read or saw yourself that like really kicked this off for you uh, to, to move from uh, a hobbyist or, or a, a, you know, an armchair researcher into somebody who's like really diving into it the way that you are now? Was there one particular incident that really hooked you? Yeah, the most terrifying moment of my life. Um, back when I was 23, I was doing World War II reenactments with my buddies. Uh, near where I live, there's a camp called Camp Claiborne. And now Camp Claiborne was part of the Louisiana maneuvers with Patton, uh, basically the war games getting ready for World War II. It's also the place where the 82nd Airborne and 101st Airborne stood up. The area itself is ruins for the most part. There's still a few intact buildings and some of the roads are intact, but it's it's an old army base that hasn't been used for, well, since the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always been stories about it. The You know, you grew up listening to stories of, oh, that place is haunted or, oh, you got to be careful out there. And there's been some kind of weird ghostly encounters out there that I've myself experienced, but this was completely different. This was completely beyond the pale. Now, as I said, we did World War II reenactments and somebody has to play the bad guys. So me and my three buddies, we're going to play the bad guys in a World War II reenactment. Usually you'll have the Americans come in. There'll be a firefight with the Germans. The Germans will fall back, retreat. Good guys will win. Bad guys will lose. Everyone will have a good time. Go barbecue and drink beer. Kind of the point of it. <laughs> So we were all dressed up in our German uniforms, practicing what we had planned to do that next month. And we were carrying live ammo because, like I said, we were 23. We were young and dumb, and we wanted the full experience. My two buddies, Matt and Rick, both of them were military veterans. Both of them, you know, for lack of a better term, we were all young and dumb. So we're practicing this one November day. It was crisp. It was clear. It was beautiful. So we're heading through the woods of Camp Claiborne. And I get to a clearing. And before you cross a clearing, you always scan to make sure. You know. So I start scanning the clearing, walking. And when I get to my right side, I see this thing standing about 30 feet away from me. Things about nine foot tall, solid black big hunched over it's hard to explain its body language because it was just so unnatural if mm -hmm. that makes any sense no it, it the, definitely does to me yeah but the thing that stuck out the most was it had a deer skull for a face big buck antlers can't tell you how many points it would have been thing was terrifying so i did the first thing that came to mind and threw my rifle up to my shoulder and shot the thing five times it's a bolt action rifle it's an old world war ii rifle you know big caliber big bullet bang 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 and when i finished i looked at the thing the thing cocked its head to the side and looked at me like i was stupid and disappeared from my line of sight just vanished gone did it like dissolve or just fade or like can you describe like how it vanished i blinked and it was gone just blink gone Wow. No sound, no fade away, just disappeared. And at this point, I'm in that kind of 
primal fear. What did I just see? What happened? But I can't move. My buddy Matt and Rick, they run up. They're like, what'd you shoot at, Richard? What's going on? What's going on? And I just point my left hand because my rifle's in my right hand. And I just point to where it stood. I was like, there was something. There was something. And I said that, I don't know for how long. And Rick runs over to where the thing was. He's looking down for footprints. He's looking. He's like, I don't see any bullet holes. You sure you shot over here? And there was thick street cover. There wasn't any sign of anything. So I'm like, we have to leave. We have to leave. They pulled me out of the woods. We get back to my car. I don't even drive home. I'm too afraid to drive home. Rick has to drive us home. And it was just absolutely terrifying. Now, how old were you at the time? I was 23. Oh, okay. All right. So so almost a, a solid 15 years later, here you are now pursuing yeah. it. I, yeah. I have a lot of questions for you. But we're going to reserve some of those for off recording because I want to show you some images and see if it's anything similar to what you've seen. So we drove home. Usually we'd go out and eat after this event. I, I didn't even go to the World War II reenactment. I, I, I didn't go back to that area of Camp Claiborne for a solid year. And I only went during the day. I didn't stay the night. Even though I saw the thing during the day, it was, I was done. I, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to investigate it. I didn't want to see it. A lot of people who have supernatural experiences will be like, oh, I, I want to see it again. I don't want to see this thing again. I don't. I don't. I don't feel that it was hostile towards me. Anything that, because it was, it was 30 feet away from me. I hit it. I know I hit it. Anything that can take that much gunfire and its only reaction is to turn its head to the side and look at you like you're stupid? Yeah. No. No. About two years later, I start kind of asking questions. Because at this point, I'm a little bit braver about it. I'm a little bit older. I'm still stupid, though. So I start asking questions. Um, local native tribe, I was literally told to shut the fuck up. I was told to shut the fuck up. Don't talk about this. Don't mention this to anybody. Pretend this never happened. You're better off for it. Shut up. So that kind of stopped that line of investigation because I wasn't going to, they don't want to talk to me about it. That's fine. So I went back to studying cryptids and started talking cryptids. And I decided I was going to focus my area of expertise on Bigfoot for a bit because, well, Bigfoot's safe. Bigfoot's not that. And I started doing more research. And I started doing more research. And started talking to other cryptozoologists. And other people have ideas of what it could be. Where it's too hot here for it to be what would traditionally be called a Wendigo. And I know some people don't like to use that name, but it, the thing doesn't live here. That was my first thought, actually, when you described it. That was my first thought. That was kind of what I first went to as well. But it's just too hot down here and a lot of people who encounter that creature they say they feel hungry or they feel the spirit of cold or they feel a malice coming off of it i was terrified of it i don't necessarily think that it was evil as weird as that sounds um another cryptozoologist said well it could be hernos the celtic god of the hunt 
because Theranos has been spotted and he asked me what my ancestry was and he asked me, you know, religious beliefs, kind of stuff like that. And I was like, okay, well, you know, my family is from that area of the world. And, you know, if this thing is that sort of thing, maybe. But to be truthful, I don't know what the hell it was. I don't know. I have no idea. But that area of Louise, of central Louisiana has a reputation. Yes, absolutely. And and that's uh, something I'm actually going to be tackling a little bit later in, in season four is we're going to be touching on some of the, the stranger cryptids and the lesser known ones that you hear about that are down here in the deep and dirty south. I mean, we're going to be doing a dive into the Rougarou, which I'm sure you're pretty familiar with at this point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of similarities between what you described to something that I saw out at Uinta Basin. So we'll definitely save that conversation for another time but but this is the one that hooked you this is the one that like really pulled you into this world well i had to figure out what it was because i couldn't sleep right (laughs) it was very much so uh why did this thing show itself to me now as i've done more research i found people of our generation and specifically people who are military or grew up in military families have been seeing this thing there's more than just me Really, you find you find like a, a pretty significant cross reference between uh, military and this particular entity, if we want to call it that. Um, military, military adjacent people whose families were military. Um, um, I'm actually interviewing a guy tomorrow, um, Mr. Smith. He is a Korean War veteran who saw this thing in 1955. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's that's pretty heavy. Yeah, he, um, to kind of give you the, he's a friend of mine's grandfather, and I'm, I'm open about what I investigate. And, you know, the guy's a Korean War veteran. He wasn't anything special. He just said he got drafted at 18, shipped over there, and lived in hell. And when he got back to the States, he said he did everything wrong you possibly could. Stealing, drinking, you know, fornicating all that stuff. And, uh, he was out hunting one day and saw the thing and it scared him straight. So I'm going to interview him tomorrow. I would be very interested to hear the outcome of this interview. I, out of curiosity, do you share any of this stuff out on the internet? I mean, do you have a podcast or uh, interview series of your own or is this all data collection that you're doing? Uh, it's all data collection right now. And, you know, I've never had, I've shared it with other researchers and stuff like that, but I've never had a platform of my own because I'm very careful about the stories that I take in. And, you know, there's stories that when I'll take in someone's story, I'll put it into either plausible or possible or debunked. Like I had a guy come up to me and talk to me about a Bigfoot story where he said, you know, he had seen a Bigfoot. It was clear as day. He gave me dates, times and all this stuff like that. And the first thing I did was I checked what uh, he described it as a full moon night. Effectively, it wasn't a full moon. It was a new moon when this happened. And one of his friends said, oh, yeah, he was you know offshore at the time. So the guy was lying to me. So I'm, I'm careful about what I pick up and what I take in because there's a lot of hoaxers out there. There's a lot of people who want attention. And I take this seriously enough to go, OK, no. And I commend you for that. I, I really do. It's one of the reasons that, that you and I linked up so well is like you you approach the phenomenon with the same um, uh, amount of 
respect and reverence that, that I do. And you're very, you're healthily skeptical like I am. You got to check yourself uh, very, very often. And you got to check your references, the people you're interviewing. You can't take anything for face value in this world anymore. And I think we can both agree on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, some people are honestly just mistaken. You know, 70% of all Bigfoot stories are just a bear walking on two legs and someone's from the city and they've never seen a bear. Or it's just something weird in the woods because most people don't spend a lot of time out in the woods. Most people don't go out to nature that often. They're used to their very sterile and clean city. But our ancestors knew the woods were haunted for a reason. Well, that's uh, that definitely sounds like a fascinating interview you have coming down the pipeline. I would I'd like to extend an open invite like if you feel comfortable and your your witness feels comfortable if you would like to share dialogue on that on our Patreon series, which is I, I can promise you anybody on the Patreon series they're very much like you and I when it comes to this stuff. That's the only reason that they log on to it. So. I, I will ask him tomorrow. Um, like he's, he's in his nineties now, if I remember correctly. And it's one of those things that his grandson mentioned. Oh yeah. You know, Pawpaw shot one of those things. And I'm like, he did what? (laughs) Mr. Smith was nice enough to go, sure. I'll sit down and talk with you and we can talk for a little bit. And I'm like, you know, thank you, sir. I, I appreciate you doing this because this is of interest to me. And, you know, this is the sort of thing. And I told him that I saw something similar. And his response was, but you're a nerdy goody two-shoe from what I understand. I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> nerdy goody but, two-shoe. I mean, I've been called worse, you know. I mean, I mean, it's the truth. I The most exciting thing I do every week is run a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Dude, okay, yeah, we're going to have to talk off of the spooky on that one because we'll we'll squeeze in a campaign before I leave the South, for sure. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, th- this should this should make you feel better because this is tied into Supernaturals. I'm actually currently writing up a modern American cryptid hunter tabletop RPG called Shotguns and Supernaturals based off of the overall arcing theory of cryptids that I've established. Can I ask what that theory is? Do you feel comfortable talking about it? It's Keel's theory. It's high strangeness. Certain things are physical. Bigfoot is a physical flesh and blood creature. Dogman is supernatural. Mothman is supernatural. The steer skull creature is supernatural. Nessie and other lake monsters, probably physical creatures. Nessie's probably a big undiscovered eel. Sea serpents, other things of that nature, same thing. Where it gets into kind of weird territory is UFOs as extra-dimensional creatures, as otherworldly visitors, or as the Fae. Which, I'm a big proponent of the the Fae theory for UFOs. I, so you're a Jacques Vallée fan as well, then, yeah? It's, it is in that the Fae creatures that were so common amongst Irish, Welsh, Celtic myths, for you know hundreds of years are the same entities that we are dealing with today with the abduction cases with the different sorts of strange phenomenon it's the fact i would tend to agree with you on some of those points especially regarding like the Fey and how that folds into modern ufology. I, I think there's definitely something to that. I think Valet was on point with Passport to Magonia. I, I praise this book at least once a month on the show. Everybody knows about it. 
And uh, Keel was definitely on to something as well regarding that. And personally, and this is just me, this is just me, I'm not so sure that Bigfoot is a flesh-and-blood physical creature. If it is, it might be popping in and out of our existence, not by its own volition, but by other forces at hand, if that makes any sense. The, the quantum Bigfoot theory. Kind of, but but it's... I think a lot of this has a lot more to do with human consciousness than we're really ready to talk about, like as as a group in the paranormal community, because I, I think we're actually hitting a, a moment in time where uh, our our consciousness is now the next step in human evolution, and we're starting to see the effects of that. And a lot of that has to do with the you know the massive increase in interest in the paranormal, in cryptids, in UFOs, we're seeing a huge boom, like, in the last 15 years. And I think that has something to do with it. It's been noticeable, and um, there's been an entire new genre of fiction that was created by this as well. Uh, in the military circles, it's known as grunts versus horror. It's your traditional horror books, but instead of your unprepared victims, it's military personnel in the situation. That would definitely speak towards all of the uh, the accounts that we're we're getting from military personnel regarding the UAP UFO phenomenon. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've got two stories from military personnel that I can share. But please go ahead. The mic is yours, my friend. So, one of my buddies was attached to an engineer unit. He was an infantryman attached to an engineer unit in Iraq. And I'm going to be kind of vague because he asked me to be vague. This particular unit found a mass grave. And they had to guard the mass grave. Well, during this kind of cleanup is the best way to put it. They got ambushed. And they chased the guys to a Babylonian ziggurat. They went inside the Babylonian ziggurat. And he was on point. They get to a room that has an altar, and the altar has blood covering it. And he peeks his head around the corner, sees the altar, tells the sergeant about it, and the sergeant is like, nope, we're leaving. We are leaving. This is a horror movie. We're done. So they they leave. They get an engineer unit to come with them, and they blow the ziggurat. And after that, he has had nothing but dreams and nightmares about the most horrible demonic extra dimensional stuff in the world and he has them to this day and he blames that ziggurat that he blames them blowing up that ziggurat really yeah it's kind of just one of those things the other military jason story i have comes from the 80s uh, one of my friend's fathers was stationed in germany uh, at the time, tensions were kind of high, and everyone was on edge. His unit got deployed near the Fulda Gap, and they had set up an OP, an operating post, and they were just watching. And he's watching through one of the primitive starlight scopes at the time, and he can see his East German counterparts across the way. He says that he watches this East German soldier walk, the East German soldier is approached by another soldier. The other soldier 
charges the East German soldier, bayonets and kills him, and then disappears. He watched the attacker disappear. Okay, so this one I find very fascinating because that's not the first time that I've heard of this particular phenomenon, which is like the disappearing soldiers. It seemed to happen a lot. It, and I'm, I'm sorry, what war was this during again? So my buddy's story, the guy who was close to me, the Ziggurat, that was during the second uh, Gulf War, OIF. This was around seven. Okay, and the second one, the, the, the other one that you just mentioned? This one? was in July of 1983 on the Fulda Gap. I see the the ones that I've heard of uh regarding like the the disappearing soldier syndrome always seem to happen like in the trenches of World War 1 a little bit less in World War 2 but still pretty prevalent and then in Vietnam. So it's interesting to hear those pop up in in uh other conflicts. And that's that's a really, really unique phenomenon to me. It's something that I would like to look into a little bit deeper once I, I have a little bit more time to dive further into all of this madness that we're all interested in. But it's uh, it's definitely one that I would love to tap into. One of the guys I've gone on a ghost hunt with, um, his brother told a ghost story to us about seven, eight years ago that his, whenever his unit was in Iraq, they lost two guys. And whenever they were flying home, his buddy comes up to him and goes, everything's going to be okay. They're with us. And was convinced that these two soldiers were in their plane coming back with them. He said he saw them. He said he saw the wounds on them, how they died. But they were flying back to the U.S. with their unit because they didn't want to stay in Iraq. I've heard very similar stories. Apparently, like the uh, the Middle East conflict... As long as it's been going on, regardless if we're talking about like the the first Gulf War, the you know, Afghanistan, like any of it, there seems to be a lot of those cases in particular where you know fallen fellow soldiers uh, magically just appear out of nowhere and be like, "Everything's good. You're going to be okay. Let's get you out of here." And I find that to be very moving. I mean, it definitely speaks to the concept of the brotherhood behind it and like really watching out for your fellow man. But it's it's pretty captivating to me that you you see this high concentration of those particular type of phenomenal experiences in that area of the world, not so much in others. But there, it's just like, it's almost par for the course. You start talking to enough soldiers, and they're like, okay, let's step over here, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. Oh, these, these bases are haunted as hell. Um, uh. Fort Johnson, formerly Fort Polk, that's near my house, has so many stories. Um, a little girl in white who runs around the uh, training facilities laughing at soldiers. Uh, a bog witch that will curse you and cause bad luck to happen to you if she catches you. Um, she's blamed for divorces and stuff like that, cheating wives. It's all her fault. If you're trying to uh, you know, keep me away from it, it's not working. I'm on my way. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming to visit real soon. Feel free. I can take you to some places around here. Um, I have a spooky encounter that's not supernatural. Okay. For my youth. But it's it's still tied into the occult. There is a second camp around here called Camp Livingston. Camp Livingston was also a World War II Army base. Camp Livingston has a history of satanic worship. We're talking everything from sacrificed animals to, in the 80s, 
one to two people got murdered out there. And one of the guys had his throat ritually slit. It was this soldier on soldier violence? No, because Camp Livingston is just open land. It's not an active base anymore. It was a World War II base. So okay, these were. So the, okay, this was inactive. Okay. Yeah, it's just a. It's once again, it's like Camp Claiborne. There's ruins, there's stuff like that. So in my youth, when I was young and dumb, I'd like to go out to Camp Livingston to hike late at night because I knew the terrain and it was peaceful and calm. And this was before my encounter with the deer skull creature, so I was even more dumb. Well, on one of these little hikes, I see a bonfire in the distance and people talking. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go check this out, see what this is, right? So I get right to the edge of the firelight, and I think I'm pretty well hidden. And there's a dozen, maybe a little bit more, people in black robes around a fire. And they're doing a satanic black mass. Well, apparently I wasn't as hidden as I thought I was. Because they chase me. And I run. Now, thankfully, I know Camp Livingston fairly well. I knew the trails. I knew which switchbacks to take. Still scary incident, but I was young, and it was kind of like playing hide-and-go-seek, but a bit more serious. <laughs> so I managed to loop my way around. I get back to where they are. I see that they've got an altar set up, and their altar is a, a, two by, a sheet of plywood some two-by-fours, and a big bonfire, and a big black book. So I grab the altar, tip it over into the bonfire, and run in my car. I figure, why not, you know? Drive to the nearby Walmart, flag down a cop, tell him what I saw, and he's like, oh yeah, that happens. Just nonchalant about it. <laughs> what? He was nonchalant about it. He's like, oh yeah, people go out there and do that shit all the time. We'll go check it out if you're worried about it. So we go there find the bonfire it's been extinguished with a fire extinguisher and no one's there and he was just like oh yeah this happens they tried to chase you they probably would have just scared you if they caught you and i'm like no no they were gonna kill me yeah, but I don't know, man. Like, I grew up down here, too, and you got a lot of people who, like, jump onto that spooky bandwagon and methods like that. Like, basically feeding off the aftershocks of the satanic panic movement of the uh, the 80s and 90s. And I I've seen that crap before, and it used to shake me as well. But, like, now when I see people doing it, it's like, <laughs> man, y'all have no idea what you're doing. You do you. You go ahead. Have your little soiree. It's a very nice robe. Very, very nice robe. Do you dry clean it? You know? <laughs> but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure, like, in the moment, it always throws you for a loop. Because it's, okay. uh, this is the last thing that you would expect to find out in Louisiana wilderness, right? Yeah. Full moon, because I can only hike during the full moon. I wasn't using a flashlight. It was just me going out to the woods. I had a bayonet and a backpack was what I had on me and a, a water canteen and I was going to eat some sunflower seeds and enjoy the night. But you know, I had to be, let's go investigate the bonfire. This is how a horror movie starts. This is why I'm the first guy dead in a horror movie because I don't have any fear towards this stuff. That's why you got to go with me because I'm the guy who's like, okay, you're going to run interference and I'm going to come up go back behind him. We're going to have fun with these guys. Let's show them what being afraid really is like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait until the 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 the, uh, the the demon throws me through a window or something, and you're like, "Oh no!" 
I will admit, Richard, you're 100% right. You will find weird crap like that happening out in the woods in the deep south uh, more than you would expect. I mean, I've come across similar things myself, so I'm not that like shocked or surprised. But it, it definitely doesn't happen near as much anymore. I, I think people have just taken disinterest in the, the weird and the occult down here. I think it's more of a matter of they're hiding it better or they don't need to hide it anymore. I've got a another case report from Shreveport, which I don't know if you know much about Shreveport. I do. So three of my buddies were Bigfoot hunting. Uh, this was during Mardi Gras last year. Uh, they set up in an area that had activity. The night goes kind of slow. They call blast a few Bigfoot sounds into the woods, trying to get some response. Uh, around 1230 or 1, they start to hear the sounds of humans talking about a half mile away. One of my buddies goes to investigate because he's like, okay, maybe it's mimicking us, whatever, right? Uh, and comes across an event where a woman is cutting herself and people are drinking her blood, calling her mother. Uh, he he bails. He runs away as fast as he can. Gets back to their hide. And they huddle up and get close together and you know just kind of make out the night. Next morning, they call the cops. They go to the area. It's very obvious that a party's happened out there. There's beer cans, booze, blood, and the sheriff's like, you guys shouldn't really come around this area anymore. And he is convinced to this day that the sheriff is one of the guys that he saw out there that night. That's wacky because that's the type of stuff you would expect to see in like late 90s, early 2000s out here, like a bunch of goth kids getting together and, and people getting weird. And I'm not going to kink shame anybody, but um, yeah, that seems a little off. It was very much off kilter. And the, the fact that it was in an area that was a Bigfoot active area is what kind of pegged my interest about it. Would you mind sending sending me the uh, coordinates to this area? Like after this conversation, I would like to kind of pinpoint it and and look at it. As as a matter of fact, if you have any cryptid sightings down here in the dirty south, send them to me because I would like to cross reference them and put them on a map, and then also share that with our good friend Aaron Deese. Aaron, I hope you're listening. He's the author of the Texas Dogman Triangle. Definite interest in all of this stuff, and might be able to to help kind of map some stuff out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can send that. I'll get all the notes. I'm trying to find my notes now, but apparently I am unprepared. So uh, this, this was supposed to be a casual conversation, brother. You're you're good. At this point, you have an open. You've already hit me with a ton of great stories. You've got an open invitation to come back once a month if you want. Yeah, Mike uh, is yours, man. I, I'd love that. And, you know, I'd like to get out so I can get more people talking, because like I said, right now I've got my group. Um. My dad has a Bigfoot report that I can give to y'all. Um, his Bigfoot report was near Graveyard, which I know that usually ties into Dogman, and that's why it's of interest to me. Mm. Honestly, that's kind of what I think about the Rougarou is, is you know, it, technically that's Louisiana's Dogman, but is this actually tied into Sasquatch instead? Because we haven't actually had any legitimate Rougarou as a Dogman accounts. I think it's one part myth, one part whatever dogmen are. Um, my own personal reports of dogmen that I've been getting, um, it it seems to be areas of high German ancestry have more 
dogman encounters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, German, Ukrainian, Czechoslovakian. This, this is definitely where it comes from. Aaron Deese actually mentions this, uh, in, in his work as well, man, I definitely got to put you in touch with him for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this also ties into the invasion theory, which is one of my favorite cryptid theories. Um, it's something me and about four other people have built over the past six years or so. So America has its own natural cryptids. Europe has its own natural cryptids, its own natural spirits. Ooh, Whenever European okay. over here, those spirits waged war against one another. Hmm. Which also ties into the deer skull creature possibly being a Slavic entity known as the Lache. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's also a few other uh, uh, European interpretations of that, both Eastern and Western European, who have very, very similar structures, like long, slender, dark body, uh, deer skull, many, many points. Um, yeah, that's that's something worth looking into, because I think we encountered something like that similar out at Uinta Basin. Which would make sense. That area is hot, to say the least. Yeah, home Spe of the skinwalkers, you know. I don't say that word. I'm careful about that word. I I mean it with no um with no joke and and with no disrespect and with not trying to stir up shock, which is why you'll never hear me really talk about it on the main feed, with the exception of we'll be doing a UN to Basin series at the end of this year that's going to touch on it at least briefly. But that's tip of the iceberg when it comes to UN There's so much more going on there. We refer to them as the skinny boys or the flesh pedestrians. Uh, upright coyotes. I'm just going to roll yeah. with that. It seems less threatening, right? It does. It does. But there's, there's an entire online community dedicated to stories of that creature. And a lot of the time, they'll give it the appearance of the Wendigo, of the deer skull creature, whatever it is that me and you both saw. They'll say, oh, well, it looks like this. And, well, there's got to be a rhyme or reason behind it. We know that the oldest, well, the oldest temple in Europe is dedicated to a deer skull creature god. It is dedicated to Kuranos, and it was found in, right in southern France, if I remember correctly. Here's an interesting thought. Uh, what, what What is your descent, if you don't mind me? Are you uh, of European descent? Like, if you if you track it back? Yeah, I am Irish, Welsh, German, French, Scandinavian. Cool. Scottish, Irish, Welsh, and German mostly. So yeah. maybe that's why it chooses to present itself to us in those ways. And that's why I think the, the reality of all this stuff is a little bit more rubbery than we're really willing to admit right now, because that's all, you know, if we dive into that, that's going to challenge a whole lot about what we think reality is. Well, I've got a, a really good friend of mine. She's been a pagan since 82. And she talks about this thing. She refers to it as Kernus. She calls it, you know, the horn God. But she, you know, when I told her what I saw, she told me that Back in, you know, the ancient times, this thing was also known as the hunter of witches. It would, if a witch was using her powers for evil, it would hunt her down and kill her. 
and it would be attracted to areas of high supernatural strangeness because of its role as the hunter. And it had a proclivity, it liked humans because it slew its own brother for the benefit of humanity. Basically, it was winter, its brother was summer. They would take turns shepherding the hunting flocks and the different things. And this was back when we were hunter-gatherers and it woke up from its sleep to take over for its brother, found that its brother effectively gorged itself on all the hunting game and now the humans wouldn't survive. And to keep humans safe, it killed its brother and took on both roles. Okay. That sounds very familiar to me. Holy shit, Richard. Like, I wasn't expecting this conversation to go this this wild and, and this crazy. Like, we've touched on some of this stuff. Holy crap, dude. We're going to have to do this on the regular. No lie. Oh, I'm I'm completely and utterly on board with, with coming on whenever you'd like. This is this is incredibly enjoyable to me. Um, you know, I've got plenty of stories and I've got plenty of people who are willing to share their stories and bring stuff to you. And like I said, I don't have a platform. I'm just a guy collecting stories from people because I have to figure out what it is. It bothers me to not know what it is. Brother, you've got a platform. Like my Patreon is open to you at any point in time. And whenever uh, we start to develop a snowball of interest into one particular subject, the main mic is yours. Yeah, no, this is the, this is the beginning of a beautiful collaboration, man. Seriously, this is, ah, uh, there we go. All right, I want to show you right. something. That's Kiranus and the moon phases. Okay. This is very similar to what I saw out in Uinta Basin. And we saw the same thing. Yeah, this black, conversation is far from over, brother. <laughs> the, the black body, when it's fingers, it's fingers. Were they elongated? Because mine, I couldn't tell, but they looked elongated. I didn't get that. I um, The experience that I had um, kind of filtered my consciousness almost in like tunnel vision to the point that I could only focus on the face. It was staring directly at me. I was staring directly at it. And then I just kind of got lost in that moment. Everything else, I could see it moving in the background. But the definitions of the body itself, non-existent. I mean, I could see him moving, but no definitive features. I could make out limbs. I could make out hands. I can make out a, a torso and legs. But um, definitive descriptions of that, I was hypnotized by those eyes. Yeah, see, that's kind of, whenever I threw up the rifle, everything became those sights. Just putting the sights on it and firing. That's what I remember clearest about that entire encounter was rifle on my shoulder, pull the trigger, rack the bolt, pull the trigger, rack the bolt, pull the trigger, rack the bolt. Yeah, yeah. Then it just cocked its head to the side at me, looking at me like I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's what happened to me with the creeper at Waverly. Even though I didn't act aggressively towards it after we had our initial interaction, that was the reaction that I got. And I know you can see my camera, but it was doing this whole... That's the, that's the exact... It, it didn't move its head side to side. It just cocked its head to the side. I blinked and it was gone. Like a German so. shepherd who heard a weird noise. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the feeling I got from it is where does the sounds of oh that was cute, and <laughs> witch mother as I like to call her. 
Thanks, um, Ghost God. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. W- which mother, as I like to call her, said, oh, well, he's, you know, he's the god of the hunt. He probably thought that was cute, like you would when a baby runs up to you and throws a rattle at you. Wow. And I'm like, thanks. And she's she's convinced it's Gernos. She's convinced I had the encounter because it wanted me to know that there was more to the world. She had an encounter of her own with a flock of ravens, which is one of the more interesting things. A group of men were chasing her to the through the woods with intentions of harming her. Uh, she gets this is in the Pacific Northwest. She gets backed up against a cliff face. It's about thirty foot down to a ravine, and she's about to jump because this this guy's coming towards her, and she notices that every tree is full of ravens, every single tree. And as she starts to take the step back to jump, all of these ravens just swarm the guy, but they leave a tunnel to the right for her to escape through, and she bolts through this tunnel and gets away. So she's had her own experiences with the supernatural. So could it be Karanos? I don't know. Um, it could be the same thing described by many different cultures, just with different names and different perceptions, because none of us are the same. And if we're actually looking at, you know, like valet's kind of distortion field theory, it depends on who's looking at it. So we might all experience the same thing, but it might look a little bit different to each one of us, you know? The- Odin theory, the, 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 for lack of a better term, the gods appear to each culture differently. You know, yeah. Hercules is, you know, Thor, Zeus is Odin. There's got, there's always a sky father. There's always an earth mother. There's always a striker. Yeah. Which is something that, uh, personally, and this is definitely a whole other two hour conversation that we're not going to submit to people right now. That's why I think that the UAP and UFO phenomenon, what's going to happen in the next uh, six to 24 months is going to really, really kick up that conversation in particular. But that's just me. That's my theory. I might have some insight to that and some friends feeding me some information, but shit's about to get weird. I can definitely say that for sure. Well, the, the friends I have and that sort of thing... They haven't said shit's gonna get weird. They said shit's already weird. It's just it hasn't filtered down to us yet. Oh no, yeah, yeah. No. For for those of us in the know, like none of this is really gonna get weird. It's just like cool. It's about time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But in about you know year to two, uh, more information is going to be coming out, and there's going to be a there's going to be a lot of people dealing with ontological shock. Um, and it you know, and at that point, it's kind of up to people like you and me to make sure that people don't go batshit crazy. <laughs> people are going to go batshit crazy about certain things. But I, I think the, I think the bigger thing that uh, a lot of people are going to deal with, and it's my personal kind of feeling, when they started having the UAP conversation, I wasn't like, oh, cool, aliens are real. My conversation is, why are they telling us this now? What are they trying to hide? What big event are they trying to hide? Um, They are trying to... Hmm. Actually, you know what? We're going to carry on this conversation in a moment. At this point, we have hit an hour, and that's kind of where I like to cut it off for transmissions from the void. So at this point, I just want to say, Richard Palmer, holy crap. Thank you so much for coming on this show. You now have an open mic anytime you want to share any of this stuff. 
What fascinating stories, not only your own, but those that you have shared of, of some of our service members and, and beyond that. Seriously, I, I love the way that you approach things. I love the way that you look at things. You have a home here, my friend. Anytime you want to come on and talk about it, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Is there anywhere that uh, is? Is there anything that you would like people to follow? Do you have any uh, uh, social feeds regarding this, or and I can not, edit all this out, so don't worry. Not, not really. I've, I've got an Instagram. Let me see what it is. I, I, I rarely use it, but it's my cryptid thing. So, yeah, send me... send it to me. Check the show notes, folks, and we'll we'll have that in the links at the bottom, uh, as always, for you. Definitely support Richard here. I what a delightful surprise. Holy crap, Scott, thank you for calling me at eleven o'clock in the the night when I was in the middle of something and and having a conversation with you and your crew because wow. But no, Richard, seriously, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your own personal experiences. Uh, like th- those were mind blowing alone. But thank you so much for sharing some of these tidbits of some of the service members that you've come across and and other people as well. I know that you've been documenting this stuff for a while, and and I, you know, I said it in passing just a few minutes earlier. But seriously, brother, you've got a home here. Anytime that you like rack up a few that you think other people should hear, I will set the mic up for you, man. This has been a great conversation, and I can't wait to see where this goes next. Is after I get Mister Smith's interview written down, done, kind of fleshed out. I'd love to come on again. Um, I'm also writing up a rules for cryptid investigations from the point of view of you're going into the woods. You need to be safe. Here's what you need to carry. Here's what you need to bring. Here's what you need to not do. And if you're going into an area that you know has a uh, actively hostile creature, I even have weapon recommendations on it. Because I have seen the the forestry services brown cow reports, which is what they call Bigfoot reports. And what they advise their people to bring to the woods when it's a Bigfoot. Oh, buddy, that is a whole episode between you and me in itself. We're going to talk about this off this feed because I am actually researching that right now myself. We got things to talk about. Oh, yes, we do. So that being said, my friends, uh, please... Welcome, Richard Palmer, to the XV Planus family. I knew this was going to be a great conversation, but this turned out to be way more than I bargained or expected for. So, again, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be in touch with you soon. We will definitely, like, send your Instagram to me. I'll be sure to plug that in the show notes. And we will definitely have you back on very, very soon, brother. Excellent. Have a good night, y'all. Many thanks to Richard Palmer for sharing his experiences, as well as some of the stories he's picked up through his research and interviews with other experiencers. As stated earlier, you can start expecting to hear from him on a monthly basis over on our Patreon feed, and he'll likely pop onto the main feed from time to time when our respective research crosses paths. His first Patreon appearance will be sometime in the first couple of weeks of December, so if you're a subscriber, keep your eyes peeled for that. Speaking of our Patreon, if you're craving more XV Planus, consider donating at www.patreon.com slash xvplanus. 
where you'll gain access to our exclusive content. There's a whole other separate series on there, as well as extended interviews, exclusive episodes with special guests, and much more. A sincere thank you to all subscribers who support the show and donate to the Patreon. You are awesome, and I can't express enough just how much every little bit helps to make this show happen a little easier. Don't forget to follow us on Blue Sky, Twitter, and no, I am not calling it X, Instagram, Threads, Facebook, everywhere as XVPlanus. And you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes as usual. If you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and especially review us. And tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, yell at random people at the bus stop about us. We are a DIY independent production, and the only way that we will grow is by you sharing us with others who might enjoy taking this trip down many a rabbit hole with us. Be sure to check out all of the great shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network like Grognostics, Administrism, Camera Occulta, and more. You can check them out by going to www.greenmushroomproject.com and click on the link in the upper part of the page that says Green Mushroom Podcast Network Shows. This show is produced in the Black Lodge, wherever that resides at this particular moment of time and space. And it is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. No part of this show or its music may be reproduced without consent. Copyright Folds and Floods Productions. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planus. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far, and I'll see you in the between. In abombratio, in fluctus, subvelo.